I am not used to all of these devices, so uh, if I'm fumbling around, uh, you'll forgive me. Uh, got a fear when I leave here. Uh, where we used to live, Lisa knew the names of about 20 to 30 different dogs and cats in our neighborhood. And I would ask her, well, who do they belong to? I don't know their name. Uh, so my fear when we leave here is I'm going to find a dog in our vehicle that's going home with us. So uh, uh, hopefully that will not happen. I don't think our cats would be too happy about that either. A few years ago, I told this story, and uh, as I was thinking about the subject, I thought this would be a good one to uh, share because it has some application. Some of you will remember the story. Several years ago, there was a, a minister at a, a large church who had a really popular radio uh, ministry as well. But he had a habit that uh, he enjoyed doing, a hobby. He liked to shoot a high-powered rifle and uh, do target practice. And one of his deacons knew that he did that, and he said, I would like to go with you sometime. And he said, okay. So they set it up, and on a... One Saturday morning, they got together and got in his truck, and uh, as they're going, he said, you know, he said, I usually drive to a farm about an hour from here, but today we need to see if we can find something closer because uh, I had a meeting come up that I need to get back to. So they're driving out through the uh, country, and the minister looks over and sees this farm that's got some hills on it and said, yeah, that'd be a pretty good place. He said, let's go in here. The deacon looked at him. He said, you do not want to go in there. He said, why not? He said, that farmer said no one can get along with him. He said, he makes everybody he talks to mad. He said, you just don't want to go in there. And he said, look, said, if we don't go in here, we may not get the shoot. He said, I'm going to try. He said, well, you can try if you want. So they pulled in kind of a long driveway and uh, barn sitting here on the left in the house. So he pulls up kind of towards the end of the house. And so I'm going to go talk to him. He said, you can talk to him if you want. I'm staying in the truck. So the minister jumps out and he goes around the house, gets up on the porch and knocks on the door. Somebody comes to the door, older gentleman. He opens it and he says, what do you want? He said, well, he, he told him his name and he said, uh, I like to uh, uh, get out and do some target practice. And he said, I can't. Uh, said, I've got a meeting back at the church, and uh, I'm not going to be able to go to the normal place. So wait a minute. That name, a church, you're not the guy with the radio ministry, are you? And he said, yes. He said, wait. He calls his wife. He said, he said honey, this is the guy we listen to all the time. said, we love him. said, I can't believe this. And he said, well, that's wonderful. He said, well, I'd love for you. He said, just kind of out back here. He said, you can probably see where it'd be a good place. He said, you can go ahead and do that. But he said, I've, I've got a favor to ask. He said, when you came in, did you see the horse standing out there under the tree? And he said, the white one? He said, yeah, that one. He said, he's been out there for two weeks and said, I have to carry food out to him. And so I called the vet in last week, and the vet said, he's probably going to stop eating, and you really need to put him down. 
And he said, actually, a couple of days ago, he quit eating. And he said, I just can't bring it to myself to shoot the horse and put him down. He said, would you shoot the horse for me? And the minister said, are you sure? He said, yeah. He said, I've got a tractor. I've got a front loader. He said, I can, I'll bury the horse. said, no problem. And the minister said, oh, okay, I'll do that. So minister's walking off the porch, and he starts thinking, I'm going to have some fun with my deacon. So he gets a stern look, and he runs off the porch, and he goes, and he jerks the door open to the truck, starts it up, and the deacon says, what's going on? He said, because of what that man said to me, I'm going to shoot his horse. So he jerks around, he pulls around, he gets out of the truck, and he goes around, and he uh, gets his gun, he goes up there, and boom, he puts the horse down. So a big smile comes on his face. He turns around. Deacon's nowhere to be seen. Next thing he hears is boom, boom, boom. Deacon comes running around the barn. He said, you got the horse. I got three cows. Let's get out of here. <laughs> Minister told the truth. But we're going to come back to that a little later because it uh, has some impact as to uh, uh, some of the things I want to say. And so I want to, uh, want to draw out some from that because uh, some, a story like that we laugh at and we think about it. And I hope it is a story. I hope it's not true. But the fact is, sometimes uh, we hear things that we that we uh, are based on some of our preconceived notions. And uh, we'll get into that. Satan likes to use that against us. This past Monday, Lisa and I went to Iowa and we visited our son-in-law, daughter, and uh, of course, our granddaughter, Ophelia Kate. And hopefully, and I'm sure, all grandparents think they're the their grandchild's the most precious one they've ever had uh, that's ever been. And, uh, and I'm happy that that's, that's the way it is. And uh, I also came to realize this past week why God uh, created us so that when we're young, we have kids uh, because of the energy and everything that they have and that you need to watch them uh, uh, as, they're, as they're growing up. And uh, even at uh, six months, they're, uh, they're pretty active and uh, keep you pretty busy. But I was, as I was thinking about that with her and with our children, and I'm thinking about the way things are in this world today. I know uh, we're facing ever more challenging times as Christians. I know when I was growing up uh, in small grade school that I went to, we would march down the hall to the cafeteria and we'd all get our plates and we'd sit down and the teacher would say, now you remember, wait till everybody sit down so that we can have a prayer, a Christian prayer. Don't see that much in uh, secular schools today, if any at all. Remember, even through high school, we welcomed uh, Christian speakers in, to the assembly, and they spoke on a number of subjects, but uh, they were all Christ-based subjects. 
And Christianity in general was, was very much an accepted thing. In fact, very respected thing. But, you know, we, we uh, have, as we've studied through the Old Testament and uh, the nation of Israel, we uh, look at the, the leaders in the nation of Israel, and some of them were godly men, some were not. Uh, and we see that the nation would fall away from God, and then they would come back. And uh, unfortunately, human nature has not changed over the centuries. And so... Uh, we see the same thing happening in our country that, you know, we still have the situation where we tend to fall away from God. I've mentioned before that uh, I remember in 9-11, right after that, all the signs that we saw in the yards uh, asking for God's blessing on America. And the thing that struck me so much recently with the uh, COVID outbreak worldwide, we didn't see that as much and people kind of gotten away from the fact that you know God is the one who can really really help us so what's the cause of of such uh, activity what's the cause of such change of mind I told Rob a little earlier I said uh, uh, you did something much more eloquently than what I'll be doing in the sermon because I'm going to be using some of the same scripture and he spoke about that and here's one verse and we're going to come back to it a little later as well in Ephesians 6:12, it says for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In other words, Satan is still hard at work. He's still out there and he's uh, trying to have his way with the world and with us. T today, I'm gonna go through a few varied stories or situations and they're probably gonna seem a little random and uh, so forth, but I hope to be able at the end to kind of tie those together and to uh, show the, uh, what links them, and then what can we do as Christians to take a stand against what's happening in the world. And uh, so hopefully uh, this morning that there will be something that I will say, something that I'll bring to your attention that may spark in your life something to help you want to be closer to God, something that'll elevate your thirst for righteousness and your thirst for knowing the word of God. So I'm going to try to highlight this morning some of, the, of Satan's tactics. The first instance that we're aware of in scripture is uh, that of uh, Adam, and, Adam and Eve in the garden. As we look at the reading and heard the reading this morning, uh, Satan's uh, response was, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Obviously, he makes an exaggerated false statement here because he's saying you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Well, that's not what, what Eve said. And, and she corrected him. And 
you know, she said, no, he didn't say we couldn't eat from any tree, just, just the one tree. And Satan's response, paraphrasing a bit, is, oh, he just restricted you from one tree. I wonder why he did that, just, just from one tree? I mean, getting her, getting her to think, well, yeah, why would he do that? I mean, we can eat from everything else. But then her answer, when the woman saw the fruit was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. Hmm. Now, she could observe those first two things. Maybe the fruit did look good. Maybe it was desirable. But where did she get the idea it's also desirable for gaining wisdom? Who did that come from? Well, that, that was Satan. That's what he told her. Already he's gotten into her mind and thought about that. You see, he wanted her to buy the story, but he didn't want her reading the fine print. Now, you will notice there's some fine print up here on this one, just for the benefit of uh, this, this this morning. And, I, and I'm going to read you because I don't think you can probably read that. Uh, this is probably what would have been in there. It says, the truth of the matter is, you are much better off if you follow God's word to the fullest extent possible. But that does not help me achieve my goals. So please disregard this small print. By the way, my legal counsel demanded I add this disclaimer. Well, I don't think uh, Satan had a, a legal counsel. If he did, uh, we've got one that's greater in Jesus Christ, so uh, there's no need for him to print it there. But the fact is, Satan doesn't want us to know the full story. I'm sure every one of us has uh, signed on agreements, uh, and it'll come on and say, please read this, and you open it up, and it's about 20 pages of small print, and if you're like me, it's like, I'm going to trust what they're saying, and I'm going to go up and sign it, and I'm going to agree to this. Too much fine print. But we have to be careful of that with Satan. You see, Satan's always ready to lead us astray. Paul points that out uh, in our, regarding our need to forgive others who wrong us. Remember in 1 Corinthians, the gentleman who was disfellowshipped because of his continue, continuing in sin? And then in 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about the fact that he, uh, the reason for the disfellowship came about in that he decided that, you know, hey, I have been wronged, and the disfellowshipping opened his eyes, and so he came back. And, and Paul tells them, he said in uh, verses 8 through 11, chapter, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he said, I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. Another reason I wrote you was to see if you could stand the test and be obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. We know what the Bible says about forgiveness. 
that we must forgive to be forgiven of God. And so Paul is addressing that issue here. And then he goes on in, uh, in chapter 11 of the same book and he states, but I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the servant's, serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And then just below that he says, and no wonder for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. And he's refer referring there to some false prophets just prior to that verse who are also trying to mislead. And he says, no wonder because they're following someone who masquerades as, as, a, uh, as light. And so they're doing the same thing. So we have to be aware of Satan's schemes. going to jump over to what is current social thinking here. I said I'd be jumping around a little bit and I want to read these verses. But you know, it's hard for me to imagine that uh, just a couple of generations ago that we would be looking at the definition of marriage as society defines it today. Hard to believe the change that we have seen. We read in scripture in Genesis 127, it says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. In Genesis 2:24, he says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Jesus Christ verified this Scripture in Mark 10, 6, he says, But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And then in Romans 1, 26 and 27, we get further discussion on this point where it says, Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual immorality for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves a due penalty for their error. I will be the first to admit that I do not understand the love that is felt between those in same-sex relationships. I, I, I struggle with that understanding. But those who demand that marriage is okay because of the love they share for one another has a failed understanding of love. God knows their feelings and so forth, but more importantly, he knows what is right. But more importantly, they failed to understanding of God's desire and his displeasure for those relationships. But Satan has told us that 
Well, look how they feel about each other. Look at who are we to hold them apart because of their love and their care for one another. And Satan will try to get in on our feelings and try to undermine his word and his, the fact of the gospel. And he's been very successful at doing that for a society as a whole. And Satan uses his tools to do those things. But I'm also reminded as we think about this, it's pretty easy as Christians to look and, and look poorly on those situations. But we can't forget either that God has the same displeasure with heterosexual relationships that are outside of his will. There's no difference. And we need to understand that as well. But as Christians, we have an obligation to reach out to those heterosexual, homosexual, whatever, in love and try to work with them and show them God's way. So it's important that we do that as much as possible. This next slide will reflect something that, for those who know me well, know my uh, love for uh, creation science and, and studying that. And so you will not be surprised to find that I'm going to address something uh, related to the creation evolution controversy. See, Satan would tell us that, well, the fossil records are found in layers that are billions of years old proving evolution. We're told that the universe by evolutionists are, are billions of years old. And he had also say, but you can fully trust scientists and they unanimously agree on the long ages. Well, part of the issue is we, we put a lot of respect in scientists and we should in a lot of ways. There's one thing that sometimes I think we don't understand. It's the difference between historical science and operational science. Operational science is, is the science that provides all of this wonderful technology that we can use with computers and, and all of that and all of the medical advances that we've seen. Operational science, they did testing and they, they tried things and they proved it and they did all of that. That's op the operational science. Well, in a lot of our lifetimes, they put men on the moon and they've done things that are just really quite unbelievable from the operational standpoint. But in all of those cases, there was testing and there was repeated testing and so forth to do that. Well, historical science is something they can't test. They can't go back a million years. They can't go back and replicate what they say happened back in those times. They can't even go back four or 5,000 years ago and do that. So guess who, what results they get when they do that? Well, it comes down to their worldview. Do they believe the Bible and God's word? Or do they believe man's word? Those long age beliefs have been around for hundreds of years, 
by, by some groups. But now it's become fact, if you will, in most of our school systems and so forth. So let's, let's go to scripture. I want to go to scripture and read a couple of things. Here in Genesis 1, 131, it says that uh, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Some of the things that are found in fossil records are animals that uh, are creatures that suffered from cancer, from all types of diseases. And they find all kinds of mayhem within the animal record in the fossils. In my mind, I can't see that God would have looked at that as occurring and saying that was very good. It just doesn't make sense to me. But let's go on and see what Jesus Christ had to say. I'm using a verse that I used in the one previous there. It says in Mark 10, 6, but at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. At the beginning of creation. If someone were to tell you, uh, said that uh, they were watching maybe a ball game or even a movie, and said there was something happened at the beginning of that game or the beginning of that movie that uh, uh, you really need to see. Well, if you went out and, and uh, got a video of that ball game, would you go to the uh, last half, the last 10 minutes of that game and look and to see what they were talking about? Wait, they said it was at the beginning. I don't think you would do that. Well, if evolutionists are true and there's billions of years and hundreds of millions of years of each day of creation, wait, man was made on the sixth day, wasn't he? And evolutionists tell you that men existed in the last, they're going to say 100,000 years. Wait, there's billions of years prior to that. So that means within the last 5% of creation, is when man was made according to evolutionists. But Christ said, whoa, in the beginning of creation. Doesn't make sense, does it? But see, creationists and evolutionists, rather, evolutionists want to uh, say that it takes these long ages because they don't believe in the way that God created And they want to tell us this, but and then if we say here that, well, but Christ said in the beginning, they're going to use that argument to say, well, maybe Christ was wrong. And if he was wrong on that, does that mean he could be wrong on other things? Satan uses those arguments to put doubt into people's mind. Now, I will be one of the first to say that if someone still has a belief in long ages but has accepted Christ, I don't think that's something that's going to negate their Christianity. But what I do think is Satan uses this to keep others who have studied and been through the system of studying evolution and everything from accepting the gospel message because they see the conflict that is there, and I think that's, that is really critical. I prefer to take God's word through Christ on creation. 
in today's world, cultural reality, intolerance and political correctness. I kind of shudder a little bit on when I hear those terms. They've been pretty popular over the last couple of years. And, and people tend to say that they're, you know, why would a God who loves us ever send anyone to hell? Really, you do what, you, what feels best. And just, you know, Christians are just intolerant. Now, I, I would like to draw a, uh, a line on a board and, and to say, okay, let's put a line of intolerance on this, on this chart. And let's start listing a few things. What about murder? Who all is intolerant of murder? Well, I think almost everyone would raise their hand and say, we're intolerant there. But, okay, what about uh, uh, speeding on the highways? I better be careful on that one. Are you talking about five miles an hour over or 20? Uh, I'm probably going to be in trouble on the five miles per hour over the speed limit on uh, numerous occasions. I hate getting ran over by other people who are going five miles over the speed limit. But are they intolerant there? Well, what about, what about abortion? Oh, that... That line of tolerance moves all over the place, depending on each individual. So when they say you're intolerant, I can guarantee you everyone is intolerant at some point. But the fact of the matter is, God tells us in Romans 3.23 is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The other thing he says in, in uh, John 14, 6, is that Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Political correctness needs to be exchanged for godly correctness. We need that. That needs to be our, our example. That needs to be our guide. It's not political correctness. It's godly correctness, and we need that. Always like, and I've used this example before, I like to think of a chain that's holding, that's connecting us with God. And each, each link in that chain represents a bond that keeps us from sinning. One link of the chain may be murder. Uh, one link of the chain may be abuse of, of drugs, or uh, another one may be something horrible that uh, we think about. But then there's another link in that chain that may be a little white lie. Another link that may be, you know, something that, you know, we just overlooked. We didn't intend to, but we overlooked it. And it doesn't matter which link you cut or which link you break. It separates us from God. Quite frankly, every sin separates us from God. Be quite honest, I tend to want to rank sin because it makes me feel a little better about some of the sins I commit. 
because I think there's a lot of sins, maybe a lot worse. But the fact is we all have fallen short of the glory of God. We all need his love and we all need to have only that one way back and that's through Jesus Christ. Satan's tactics. Here's where Rob was much more eloquent than I'm going to be because he talked about this this morning in class. Some truth, but deceitfully delivered. I want to go back to my story. The minister, he told the truth. He said, I'm going to do, I'm going to shoot that horse because of what that man told me. And that's what he was going to do. But he used a body language that sent a different message to that deacon. And he also knew the preconceived ideas that that deacon had. Satan knows us better than almost anyone other than God. He knows what our preconceived notions are. He is cunning, he's devious, he's knowledgeable. And we need to have the word of God in our lives so that he that is his, that is his, let me try that again. He that is within us is greater than he that is in the world. We need to fill our hearts and our minds with scripture so that he that is within us can jog our memories and point out those scriptures that we need to hear when Satan's trying to get us to do other things. It's really important from that standpoint. I hate to say that the minister in the story was Satan, but in a way he was because he was using what he knew to lead that guy to think of some, the deacon to think of something else. Now, I don't think he would have intended for there to be three cows shot, but the fact was Satan doesn't care what the consequences are. And then the deacon had preconceived notions. What about you? Do you ever have any preconceived notions about things that might cause you to make a mistake? May cause you to think of something in a way that uh, perhaps you shouldn't? I got up there, Satan's tactics, there are many. There's as many tactics as there are people with different ideas. And we have to be aware of those. The Christian's defense. Know the facts. What are the facts? They're here in the word of God. We need to put the word of God in our heart, in our mind, and we need to repeatedly go back and put it there. I did an example one time with a class and the youngsters would not know this, but if I say two all beef patties, boom, who gets it? I know there's a few that will. Yeah, I saw some hands. Special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. Baseball, hot dogs, apple pie, and Chevrolet. Now there's some others I could list here, but you don't remember that because that advertisement happened one time. You heard it numerous times. We can't read scripture once or twice. 
and embedded in our hearts and our minds the way that we should. We need to constantly be going back to Scripture. I need to constantly be going back to Scripture. It needs to be embedded so that when he who is in us that is greater than he is in the world jogs our memory and helps us to think about that, it gives us some defense. We need to know the facts. We need to place our faith on those facts. And then we need to let our feelings and our passion be driven by those two things. It's critical as Christians, Satan is not giving up. He's relentless. He's going to push us every day to f fall away from God. We need to bury ourselves in the word of God. We sang the song earlier, I need thee every hour. Boy, do we need God every hour. God did really say a lot of the things that we read from scripture here this morning. He did really say that we need to love him, that we need to focus on him. I'm going to read the scripture again that talks about putting on the fall, full armor of God, but that's what we need to do. In Ephesians 10 through 12, or 6, 10 through 12, we need to do all of that. We need to put that on as Christians. We need to grow in our lives in such a way that we can take a stand and we're in a world that doesn't want us taking that stand that tries to drive us the other way. So it's important that we do those things. Here this morning, there's probably some of us that maybe have, have failed to really study his word, to really put it in our hearts. And, you know, as uh, Scott was saying earlier, there's a lot of things that redirect our thoughts. Um, it's sometimes difficult to be able to focus the way that we should. And sometimes we slip. There may be some who've never made a decision about Christ at all. But we need to do that because there's only one way to God, and that's through Jesus Christ and that door.